Hi, and welcome to Cold Turkey Podcast. Don't forget to share the page, share the Anchor hosting page where I host my Cold Turkey Podcast. Uh, don't forget to give it a like, whatever platform you're listening to. And uh, today I'm, I'm sitting down with Kimberly. Kimberly has a website, a Facebook page called Crown Yourself, which is really about overcoming your fears. And, you know, um, based on hypnosis and NLP, she, uh, she helps people in overcoming uh, some of their most challenging obstacles in their lives. Uh, she has herself overcame uh, bulimia and some other uh major problems that she had in her life from you know like her young age so without further ado uh, I'm, I'm leaving uh, you guys to listen to a great interview I had with Kimberly enjoy Hi, Kimberly. Hi, Alex. How are you? I'm doing great. Yourself? I'm doing extraordinary. It's been a fantastic day of up-leveling and kicking my clients' asses. Awesome. Awesome. So we're going to get there. We're, you know, like, uh, I, I love that you kick your clients' asses. And I want to know <laughs> who are those clients and, you know, <laughs> not what are their asses, but, you know, like, what, what happened? You know, <laughs> um, let's just going right to the butt of the turkey. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start off by just, you know, like, draw me a picture of, you know, like, where does it start? You know, like, what, what, what your first either witnessing contact um, of, of any kind of substances or someone that, you know, like you saw either drunk or, or, or stoned, you know, to the gills. And, you know, tell me a bit about, you know, like a, a bit of the backdrop of, of, of your whole story. Yeah. So... My first memory, my literal first memory is of flashing red, blue lights on the freeway. Um, when I was about three years old, my my dad, who is an alcoholic and an addict, he flipped his, his pickup truck. He flipped on the freeway. Okay. And my first memory is of those lights. I like prior to that, I don't remember anything. I was about three years old. Um, that was the first big one. Um, a lot of my childhood, there are many memories that I've actually been working on remembering a lot of the the great memories with my dad. Um, because I like to say I grew up with four dads. I had the awesome, really awesome sober dad. So cool. Like really fun to hang out with, took me to the park. I wish I had like could actually remember more memories was it, about the that. Rep that. Was that cool, Dan? The repenting dad, though. For the most part, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For the most part, um, and then I had the alcoholic asshole father, who I'm I never want to see again in my life. Um, I had the the stoner, laid back cool dad so perhaps I was so young like maybe my dad was like cool sober dad but he really he was stoned so he was just kind of laid back and didn't really care yeah um and then I had the the manic uh opioid addicted father and and so that's been the one that I was dealing with for the past for more recently um since he had some major surgeries um so that that three-year-old you know like just for the flash of that three-year-old that yeah. you got of those flashing lines do you think either, do you remember any emotion attached to it? And and the second question would be either yes or no. Do you think that you um, captured the emotion? Oh, I'm sure I did. I'm sure I did. I'm sure it's in there. Yeah. It's in there somewhere um, of fear, panic, um, abandonment. Yeah. I, I'm sure it's in there. I mean, because my other very, very clear memory of childhood is watching my dad get arrested when I was six in front of our house. And my mom made me stand and she had her hands on my shoulders and we were standing in uh, their bedroom. And she said, I want you to watch this. She said, this is very important. And it was my dad getting arrested for drunk driving as he pulled in. So you would be served as a lesson Sometimes just as 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 a almost as a lesson as a cautionary tale as 
a, a, pe- a penance possibly. I'm, I'm not sure. But I do remember that my mom said, you need to watch this. Like this is your, this is judgment in essence. I, I, I wasn't sure, but that was my other big memory. What's, along what's the feeling mother. inside? You're like, cause it's a, uh, it's, it's your father, for God's like, sake. Confused, <laughs> like definitely confused. I knew that, like, I had my first sip of beer when I was eight years old, and um, I didn't understand it. I still don't understand beer, quite frankly. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I don't understand. It tastes like ass. It just, it's not a pleasant taste for me. Yeah. Um, and I, I just, I, I remember sipping. I was like, I don't understand why this is like a thing why you want to put that like I didn't understand why you would want to put something that tastes nasty into your body like it just didn't make sense to me um and so that like growing up like there were many good moments and there were also a lot of not like because one of the things that that in many ways that I'm very grateful for my upbringing was it taught me my skill set as a high performance coach because Anybody who grew up with an addict, and I've noticed this with many of of my clients who have either grown up with an addict or they've been abused, there is a a leeriness, not not from the place of like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die necessarily, like that level of fear, but there's a watchfulness and you can see it in the eyes. And it's a watchfulness of like understanding and like really calibrating behavior really fast. Yeah. Before you engage. So I, I learned at a very young age to calibrate. Okay, is this my is this my sober dad? Is this my manic dad? Is this my stone dad? Like, which one is this? Which one is coming in the door? Because I never knew. And like, like a barometer? Like, like, a, like, a, like a sixth sense of... Yeah, it's just been a sixth sense, and like I've always been the one that he hasn't been able to bullshit. <laughs> like, and not only that, you know, like sometimes you would even, uh, I guess, you would even say that opening the door, you would feel you. you I would. It was a, it was an energy. Yeah. Like it, it's an it's an energy like a sixth sense, and also my skill set, which makes me really good as a coach, but not so great as a five year old child in a household yeah. where you're being taught to honor your father and mother was challenging my dad's behavior because I would always see him at his highest and best. I knew that sober dad, that really awesome, cool dad who brought home a suitcase full of one of his clients uh clothes like she had passed and so she got this suitcase full of dress-up clothes and he laid it out on all on the living room floor and that was like oh my gosh this is so cool yeah like I remember those moments but then there were the moments of of just not knowing who I was engaging with so it left me with a very uh unsure footing and and it wasn't until my my husband when he he realized he's been the constant. My husband has been the constant center of my what he calls my hurricane um, because he says, oh, I see how much instability you grew up with. Like one day it's up, one day it's down, one day it's up, one day it's down, one hour it's up. It's it, like it was it was very there was no stability. Like while there was always financial stability and I will give credit to my my father for this, because like when I was calling rehab homes after I staged his intervention th- uh, three, four years ago, three years ago, um, when I was calling rehab homes, they were like, oh, well, he, you know, when halfway houses, they said, oh, he needs to have a job. I was like, yeah, he's over the course of his 30 years of addiction or f- 50. He's been an addict for 50 years. Um, he grew a multi-million dollar company. Wow. <laughs> so, I mean, that's a testament to his tenacity and to his resilience and to his work ethic. So we were never financially strapped. Like there were definitely money uh, money beliefs early on, you know, as as I watched my parents grow their company. And I mean, my mom and dad to this day are still together, um, proving that like a marriage can out go through anything. Tough mom. Um, but, tough yeah, mom. Yeah. I mean, it's tough. But and I was really happy because when I staged my intervention, uh, staged my dad's intervention, um, my mom started going to intervention classes as well for codependency, which was super powerful. And since then, she has detached, in essence, from being my father's keeper, which is very 
very awesome to see her step into her own power. And it's night and day because it's, it creates, it leverages power, the other side of the table. Yeah. Yeah. And at first there was a, there was a shift and my dad wasn't sure how to deal with this. This woman wasn't staying on top of his every move. But I, I mean, that was, it was definitely, um, like every experience I, while I went through my cycles of anger, sadness, fear, guilt, shame of, uh, of all the, the emotions, like I look back now and I see how everything in my life prepared me for what I'm doing now. Like the, the experiences I had, um, growing up prepared me to be able to relate and break through with people who have gone through very similar experiences of of either abuse or or neglect or rejection or all of that and it's really uh, like I'm I look back now and I'm I'm actually very grateful that I had the childhood that I did even though most people would think that's crazy yeah any siblings in there no just me just you and yeah. how did you kick off the the like the school you know like what kind of child were you oh my gosh well so for in order for me to uh let me backtrack that the the belief that i adopted was that if i was skinny enough if i was smart enough if i performed well enough in school if i was a straight a student then my dad wouldn't drink then my dad like it was a very if then belief it was a and it came from the the belief and the fear that i wasn't enough i took on the responsibility of if i was enough if i was smart enough if i was skinny enough if i was pretty enough if i was whatever enough then my dad would stop drinking and then we both know that that's like a completely unrealistic thing, but I adopted perfectionism to a T. And I it was understand. Very... I understand all of them, but the skinny part. And I, I, I let me explain myself. You were like six and yeah. already had that image piece in there, or you added it later. The body image issues came uh, later. They came through dance. I was very talented as a dancer as a child. And um, I had a very tough Russian ballet teacher who wanted to start grooming me to go pro. And so when she was training me, she was recommending things like, oh, you're starting to hit puberty. Like it was around 10, 11. And she said, maybe stop eating around four. And so I started to adopt a lot of weird eating habits, but it wasn't just that. Um, because my dad, whenever he would go into a recovery mode, cause he tried to get sober so many times on his own. Um, and he would go and, and hyper-focus on his weight. And so being fat was bad, like being overweight. And he would, he would hyper-focus on it. He would go on fast. He wouldn't eat for days um, or weeks. And so I learned this really disruptive behavior around food. And I talk about this a lot in my book that's coming out this year, Mindful Meals, How to Dethrone Food Fears and Reign in a Body that Rules, because the programming that I had around food was and and feeling specifically was with feeling feeling was not not appropriate in my household my mom doesn't like to deal with feelings and my dad would always numb out with some form of substance yeah and so i never learned how to actually experience feelings like so what i what i ended up becoming was bulimic by the age of 12 um was And that was because, and if you think of like what bulimia is, it's shoving stuff down and then it, it eventually has to explode. And so that was what I, that was the behavior that I modeled from my parents um, of shoving feelings down and eventually it would explode, but the feelings were in the form of food. Yep. And so I learned this, uh, I never learned proper tools until I was 17 to on how to deal with feelings on and my household was very reactionary so there was there like ownership was was not a thing it was always blaming 
somebody. Oh, it's I had a bad day. Oh, I don't like I should I just I deserve to relax. Like, oh, I had this this happened or oh, this customer did this. And so it was always blaming something else and outside of you for for your reaction. And that never works. Like my my girlfriends nowadays, they call me the queen of ownership because nothing out. You cannot like if the problem is you, then the great thing is, is that the solution is you. But if the problem is outside of you, you can't change anyone else. Yep. You can't change any other person. You can only change yourself. And so that that mentality, that reactive mentality was what I grew up with. And I remember when I was 17 years old, um, one of my dad's customers was a a very well-known acting teacher in Los Angeles. And my dad raced to this camp that I was at, or he he called me and he said, Kim, you have to, to go to this acting class. Like I got you in. And I was like, what do you mean you got me in? And he was like, I got you in. Like go audit this class because he he was my parents were always super supportive of me and my dreams. And back then, my my dream was to be an actor and a screenwriter in Hollywood. And so that that support was awesome. Um, but it combated the belief that I was not enough. So like it was it was very much at odds with the, with the belief. But at this acting class, I remember I was 17 years old. I was the youngest in the class. and. The, my acne teacher gave me this book of like all the books that you need to read. It was like 50. And as the perfectionist straight A student, I was that I went and I went to Barnes and Noble and I got all the books and I started, I, I got the first one that it in literally in big, in a big box, it said, this is the most important book you will ever read. And that was Stephen Covey's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And that book changed my life. Because it was the first book that as I was reading it, I remember reading it and having the moment of seeing, wait, what? You can control your emotions? Like you control your reactions to things? What? Like this was such a novel concept for me. I had no idea because before I would have just flown off the handle. That was just my MO. Yeah. Like that, that was how I operated. And that book, when I was like, when I learned that, that, that insight changed me. And that is what started, that was a little seed that started my healing from a 10 year battle with bulimia. Can you, can you, can you help me understand um, how does it start? You know, like, cause, cause you know, like you've all seen documentaries, movies, you know, like I've seen, I remember seeing, um, uh, an HBO uh, documentary on on bulimia and anorexia. I don't remember the title. Like was one word, and it was horrific. You know, like it was for especially when when I have no common ground of understanding it. Um, even though I get it, you know, like I, what I get is yeah. the the emotional roots of it. You know, so yeah, so. the roots of it. I I don't think it's. It was never like one thing. It was a compilation of things. It was the little building blocks as as kind of like the movie Inception. So in the movie Inception, like there's all these different layers of consciousness that you go into before the this they implant the the idea, that root idea that into someone's subconscious mind. Well, it was all these little experiences that built on this sort of gestalt, this belief that I wasn't good enough and, and which translated into maybe if I was skinny enough, maybe if I had the uh, the best body, yep. then then I would have a happier home life. Then I would um, have a sober father. Then I would have a stable like and feel s- more stability. Yep. And that it like the little, little building blocks. And now I, I say that and I go into this a, a lot in my book with there are three Trojan horses to every belief, every belief you have, whether it's a positive one that's that's working for you or whether it's one that's not, because we can change our beliefs. I like to think of beliefs as like trying on a new pair of clothes. 
Um, and the three things that go into every belief, every belief has some form of safety. It has some form of control and it has some form of getting you acknowledgement or connection. So for me, the the belief, the root the, of being bulimic, it brought me a feeling of safety because I had certain rules that I had to live by. So I felt like I had more control. I felt safer because I had these these food rules. And if I broke them, then I would be punished. Bad girl, right? But then I had... Uh, I, it brought me connection as well, not connecting over the eating disorder, but connecting over the secret and getting me attention from other people who would say, wow, Kim, you have really weird eating habits. Like, what's up with that? And so I would get attention and I would be able to deflect it, but it would feed that need for attention. It fed the need for control and safety. I also equate that to more stability. So because I had these rules around what I could eat, when I could eat, so many freaking rules. Like, I don't even know how, like they even got convoluted in my mind back then. And it caused, but it yet still within that chaos, I felt safe because I was very safe in chaos. Not that it was safe, but that it was familiar. Yeah, absolutely. Very familiar to it. And, and so, so those three things backed up that belief. And so what happened was it was not really Like it, it wasn't real. Like I had been dieting and toying with dieting, modeling my father's behavior with like, oh, maybe I'll go on a fast for two weeks. And then I would feel like I failed totally because I would like be ravenously hungry. And then I would feel like I deserved punishment for failure. So I would end up punishing myself with overeating. And so it was this vicious cycle that I was on. Uh, around with with food, with my body, with 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 the whole relationship of who I was, and this idea that I could control how I felt was pivotal for me. For sure, and and yeah. and so, you, how long did this relationship with 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 food went? It was it was ten years. Okay, um, so from seven was, to seventeen. Uh, from, from 12, well, like food was, was longer. It was, but bulimia was specifically 12 to 22. Okay. And, and what shifted in those last final years were a few things. So when I was about 16, I shared with my parents, cause I knew that I knew that this, like on an unconscious deep level, like one of the prime directives of our subconscious mind is to protect and preserve the body. And on some deep level, there is a, a knowing, there is an intrinsic wisdom that says what you're doing to your body is not good for you. Like there is just an intrinsic wisdom. And now we can ignore that voice and suppress it with thoughts or excuses of like, oh, no, 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 it's fine. It's, it's just, you know, it's just a, a piece of cake or it's just another drink or it's just whatever. We can suppress it with all these reasons and rules and, and excuses, but really we still hear that voice that it's, it's a deep knowing. And so on some intrinsic level, I knew that what I was doing was a slow form of suicide. And so I told my parents when I was about 16 and after sharing that with them, I said, yeah, I, I, I sometimes throw out my food. And like after sharing that with them, my mom, she didn't quite know what to do with that, but she did know what to do with it when she caught me tr trying to sneak after dinner to go to the bathroom. And, and she ended up, we ended up in this massive rumbling, like she took me out into the ground and ended up sitting on me. And she said, Kim, I'm not going to let you kill yourself. I love you. And it was within that moment where I realized like I had someone who was rooting for me. I needed someone who was rooting for me on that level. And so sharing about it, being open with it. And so I started to slowly start to tell people more and I started to talk about it more and say, yeah, I like sometimes I throw out my food. And though, I mean, that wasn't entirely true. It was like all the time I throw out my food yeah. back then. But at the same time, it was it was just the beginnings of allowing those those bits to sh to share those those 
things that you feel shame around. And once I started being more vulnerable with sharing those things that I was ashamed of, it allowed me to then start searching for new ways of behaving. Because what happens is, and and, uh, Brene Brown has studied this uh, with her research on shame and vulnerability, is as you increase your vulnerability, it, it decreases shame. So the more you become vulnerable, the more you share your story, the more you share and are open about presenting you as wholly you, as who you are, because so often we just bring our representatives to the table, right? We bring the person that we think they, the other person wants to see rather than our true authentic selves. Well, tell our new generation about it where, you know, like image. Yeah. Is, yeah, it's, uh, you know, like, I mean, our, our following generations right now are most, are probably the most victim of what you're just describing right now. You know, yeah. like, it, you know like, so when, when it was just for a close group of people that was your schoolyard, your campus, um, your, you know, like your professional circle. Um, yeah. Nowadays, it's the old freaking planet, you know. So, yeah, so now it's, uh, it's you're a brand. Now you're a yeah. personal brand, and so your um, your only self is a brand. Yeah, yeah. Because and and I do believe on on like that we are all walking brands. I do believe that. At the same time, like you are a person before you are a brand. Yep, a hundred percent. And persons, people, humans have flaws and foibles and f-ups and all the things the perfect imperfection exactly and so the thing is is when i started to strip away and allow people to see the real me the the damaged version of me the the somewhat broken version of me it allowed me to start seeking out new behavior so i started looking at okay well what could I do that is, it started to allow me to become like almost like an anthropologist of my own behavior. So instead of thinking of my behavior as like shameful and I would pass a lot of judgment on myself around if I, if I slipped up and, and threw up or if I, if I fell off the ladder or whatever it was, however you want to phrase that. But if I fell off the ladder, fell off the wagon, <laughs> if instead of passing a lot of shame and judgment on myself, I would say, huh, isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? What triggered that? Like almost like studying, because I started to realize that people are not their thoughts. People are not their feelings. People are not their behavior. Our behavior changes and you can change your behavior. And knowing that, and I think that's why one of the things of, of I was blessed to see that and grow up with that because I, I grew up with that lesson that people are not their behavior. I would see my dad with under, under the influence with really, really bad behavior. Yep. And then I would see him with really good behavior. And I was like, well, this is it's the same person, different behavior. So people are not their behaviors. So when I started to take a step back, take almost like an omniscient point of view of watching myself in that situation of like, huh, let's rewind that movie. Let's watch the movie of what just happened. What triggered that? What what inspired that next action? And what could I do differently if the scene was to repeat itself? Yeah. And I started to study and I started to to and, and not study like looking at outside sources. I started to study my own behavior. What were my trip triggers? What were my trip wires? And so I, I left the world of dance for a while. Um, I decided to not not pursue a career in ballet. Um, I I also Want, knew though that I wanted to get in touch. I, I knew that I wanted to feel my body. Like I wanted to work out in some way because I didn't want to be unhealthy. Um, not that, you know, being bulimic was radically healthy, but I, I knew I wanted to to have some form, form of physical exercise, but I knew it couldn't be dance. I couldn't stare at myself in a mirror with a leotard. I, I knew it was so highly triggering for me to just pass massive amounts of judgment on myself. So I allowed myself to leave that world 
And I started looking at like gym memberships and like didn't know what I was doing and looked at all those machines. I had no idea what to do. And I would try to do like the elliptical and I wasn't even sure like if anything was working. I don't know if I was working hard enough or whatever. And then my girlfriend was getting her certification in Pilates. And she was like, hey, Kim, like, would you want to have some free lessons? And as I get my teacher training and she gave me a few free lessons. And within six months or within six weeks, I knew I had to teach it. Within six months, I was certified. And it was through teaching and being put in this position of influence of of needing, of seeing people come to me for their bodies, this thing that I had struggled with for years, suddenly being put in this position with a whole bunch of knowledge on Pilates, but they would also share about their own body image issues, their own fears about food. And suddenly I was like, first of all, I knew I wasn't alone, which because so often that's, that's getting yourself, getting almost like Receiving the visit of yourself as a customer. Yeah. In terms of. And they paid me to do it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. It was a whole new world. Yeah. And so, yeah. So that was, that was so enlightening for me. And then I saw, and then as I was teaching, I saw that I was attracting this whole other clientele that they all had some form to one degree or another of some body image issues. And I started to realize and be open and share about my struggles. And I actually started to get more clients because I was sharing about the fact that I had never really been at peace with my body. And the more I shared about that, the more I was able to teach people how to be more at peace with their body by activating their parasympathetic nervous system with Pilates. Um, And so, I mean, what's great also about Pilates is like because you're activating the parasympathetic nervous system, because you're doing the movements with breath, it it helps to tone down that really reactive brain, that that primal brain, that fear-based brain. So it's training the whole other nervous system that I had never really trained in the past because I was so used to be living in that reactionary fight or flight state. How old were you when when all of this happens? So I got certified in Pilates when I was 19. And then when I was uh, 20, 22, 23, I started my own studio. And so that that habit or that 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 sickness of, of bulimia. Yeah. Got. You got rid of it while well, living yeah, through or, teaching, through being yeah. of service. Like it was a hundred and fifty percent by being of service, and because your, our brains crave congruence. So if you are of integrity, which I like to think I am, yeah, then when you're you want to practice what you preach. And I saw the moments, and I would catch myself when I would be out of integrity, when I would be downing laxatives at night and then like showing up like, like wrecked the next, the next morning to train my clients, I'd be like, Ooh, that was, I'm out of integrity. Like I just knew on a gut level, like what I was doing, the behavior that I was doing. That you're bullshitting, you know, like you're you're literally bullshitting. Yeah. And Um, eventually like, how you feel like Brendan Burchard has a fantastic book called The Charge. And he shares a lot about one of the charged principles is the more you can live congruently. And so if you're out there preaching about health and fitness, but you're not being healthy or fit, your 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 brain is literally like crying <laughs> to you to like, yeah. please be congruent or what's going to happen. It's it's a form of self-sabotage where you'll you'll self-sabotage in some way. Yeah. Um, so for me, there were multiple times that I self-sabotaged on that path. But after a while, after noticing my thoughts, after noticing my feelings, and after practicing and teaching for 10 hours a day, I had this burst of inspiration to sign up for the Miss California pageant. And where there is a bikini competition and suddenly I was going to be on stage in front of 5,000 people in a bathing suit, something showing my body, something that I had never really been fully comfortable in. And I had 
prepared and I had done the workouts, but I had made sure to not overwork out myself um, because that had been a default behavior. So when I was recovering from bulimia, my bulimia shifted into exercise bulimia and into or into laxative bulimia. So I wasn't I I realized I I no longer really like throwing up and actually like the thought of throwing up now, it's just like, oh, it's awful. But the the so I shifted it into a different form. So it kind yep. of like how addicts shift from like, oh, doing alcohol or doing a drug to like drinking or doing drugs. So it's it's it was just a different form. Absolutely. But still the the iceberg, the underlying part of the the iceberg of all the beliefs, all the all the crap, all the programming was still there. And the MO's the same. I mean, like you fill yeah. yourself up and you 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 excuse yeah. the term but you evacuate it out in some way. Yeah. And so for me, like I'm, I was very cautious and very aware to just not purge it out through alcohol or any, or not alcohol, but not purge it out through, um, exercise. And so when I was training, I was just, you know, watching myself because I was going to be standing on this platform, sharing my story in essence, like that was my, my platform was for health and fitness and again, congruence. Yep. And when I walked out on stage for the bikini competition, I, I walked out stage and I suddenly felt the noise of the crowd. I saw the dark of the room and I was in my bathing suit and I felt so freaking good. I felt like everything had prepared me for this moment. I felt so strong and confident and bold. And suddenly I was walking out on the stage and I did not care whether I won that crown. I did not care about what, you know, 15 arbitrary people and named judges said about me. When I walked on that stage, I remember feeling suddenly like I'd already won because I'd won my freedom. I won. I knew that I had beat it at that point. I knew that I, it it wasn't that I was no, had no longer beat it. Like it wasn't that I just had beat it. I had transformed. Like I don't say I'm recovered from bulimia. I transformed my identity into someone who loved and nurtured and honored her body. And that that was the moment that I say I crowned myself. And that moment, I just knew. I knew I would never go back. Did you win, though? Did you win, though? (laughs) I didn't. (laughs) No, that would have been a good ending, though. But no, I actually actually like that that I crowned myself instead because it just led to the the title of my company. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. But the... the, 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 um... You know, like you made a, you know, like you made a mistake of mentioning alcohol, but I have to ask you, you know, like was any substances demonized in your conscience or subconscious? You know, like what was your relation to alcohol? You know, like you said, you said, yeah, you said that, you know, like beer tastes like ass, which I, I totally agree on, but you know, like, you know, like, I don't know, like relationship with wine or with, with you know, like cannabis or, you know, wh- yeah. what was your relation with, with, cause you would seem like a great candidate for abuse as well <laughs> in that field. You know, like, so, so. <laughs> oh, Alex, I abused my body far too much when I was younger. I'm, I'm good. Um, that's why I say I was transformed because that girl who was bulimic, she was very self-destructive. Like I would go out partying like 1920, 21, I would go out partying after teaching a 10 hour day and then still wake up at like five in the morning to go teach. Uh, and I would smell like not too pretty, like, like a hot mess. So you had, the, you had the, those in you as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, for me, it was like I always saw substances as something I was always wary of and I tested it because I wanted to see what that line was for me I wanted to see like I don't drink liquor I don't like no thank you like I enjoy a glass of wine from time to time but and beer not so much 
Um, but the 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 experimentation that I did between being ni- nineteen and twenty two, twenty three, um, was testing my boundaries to see like why had my dad lobbed on to this thing and I remember when I tried cocaine for the first time and I was like oh that's nice and then after the third time I tried it I was like I can never touch that again yeah yeah it's it it scared the shit out of me actually yeah because I you know like I guess my my Jiminy Cricket scream louder than the effect it caused. You know, like, so I, I heard that scream inside saying, yeah. you're not that great. So what you're feeling right now, because Coke does that, you know, yeah. it makes you feel like you're fucking superhuman. Yeah. Um, I remember a voice almost, well, talking to myself like, I can't kick the doorman's ass. I'm gonna, he's gonna fucking kill me. You know, like so, so, <laughs> just, just like believing that I could, you know, kick anyone's ass in the club, and I was like, I'm gonna yeah. end up dead. You know, like so, I can't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I definitely like I, I remember that, and I also, I, I always came clean with my mom about anything that I tried. And I told her when I told her that I had tried Coke, she was, uh, she said, she broke down crying. And I was like, no, mom, this is good. Like, I realized, like, it ain't happening again. Like, it's just, it's not going to happen. Like, because I I saw what it could do. And I was like, oh, no. Plus, I'm also very, like, I'm very money conscious and snorting dollar bills up your nose just does not sound appealing (laughs) where does where does i have to ask you like where does the your mom's resilience come from oh good lord i have no idea like (laughs) i have no idea like i she is is incredibly resilient and i mean i was a nightmare when i was a teenager I like I apologize profusely for my <laughs> for my behavior to yeah. my both my parents um, because I was such a nightmare. I was such an emotional wreck. I was so confused. If if I was my daughter, I would throw her in therapy in a hot second um, <laughs> because I had no tools. I had no resources. I had no way of knowing how to express myself. And so when I was 18, 17, 18, 19, about 23 not even 23 less than 23 I was like 22 I was I was very self-destructive and I I honestly don't remember like I I, I don't recognize that version of me I look back on that on that person and I just see how how wounded she was and it's kind of like you know hurt people hurt people yeah and when I look back on that version of me if you've ever seen a wounded animal, like when you try to help them, they're flailing and they fight you like crazy. Yeah. And that's, that's who I was back when I was a teenager in, in my early 20s. Like I would, I was super feisty, super feisty. And, and I'm still, I've still got the feistiness, but it's, it's in a very healthy way now. Yeah. Like I still challenge, but it's in a very healthy way now. And I've evolved enough to where like that version of me I don't recognize at all. Like I I see I see I see her and I just want to give her a hug. I I honestly I and I do a lot of uh ho'oponopono work with my clients, yep. which is the ancient Hawaiian huna technique of of, of forgiveness. And it's not just forgiving others. It's forgiving every version of yourself. Because if you think about it, your body is physically changing on a cellular level all the time. Yep. It's just you can choose how to consciously change it. Like my body has physically evolved over time. Like I look back, like if you see pictures of me when I was like 19 or 20, like 
that Facebook 10-year challenge, my my friends were like, oh my God, how did you have a kid? And now you look even younger than you were when you were 19 years old. And it's because that that burden that I had, the darkness that that I had, I released it. I I allowed for it to, for light to come in. I yeah, allowed you're free to, from it. Yeah. What? You're free from it. Yeah. It's 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 total freedom. And I and I work through this process called timeline therapy, which is super effective with my clients. So effective, especially if you've had PTSD or experienced abuse or trauma in your past, because you don't actually associate into the memory. It's not like traditional uh, therapy. It's a combination of NLP and hypnosis. And so you are are above any sort of traumatic event. So you never actually go into the event until you've removed the emotions from it. And I remember the first time back in 2016 when I was getting certified in NLP, (coughs) excuse me, anti-line therapy and hypnosis. When I was getting certified, I, I had this this experience, this powerful experience, um, where I released anger and it was, it was like a spiritual awakening. It was this shift of light of, it felt like my whole world. And I'm like, when I've done this with my other clients, they've also said, yeah, it feels like when you're really in it, when you're releasing something that's really deep rooted that you've carried with you. And studies have shown that many people, generations, uh, there was a study done in Utah of on mice that they did shock, shock, uh, not shock, shock therapy, but shock. They, they shocked the mice and showed them, I think it was hibiscus flowers. And then two generations of mice, they still had an aversion to hibiscus flowers, even though they didn't experience the shocks personally. Wow. So science is showing that emotions are get trapped on our bodies and get passed down generation to generation. And the beauty of that experience back in 2016 was that I was pregnant. And I knew that by going through, by facing the fear, by facing the the things that I'd kept locked inside of me, by allowing them to release and be exposed to the light and to love, when I allowed for that, it changed my world. And I knew I wasn't doing it just for me. I knew I was doing it because being a CEO never scared me. Like, that I've I've I'm on my third business. I love business. I've been an entrepreneur for 10 plus years. Like I love it. But being a mom, that was a title that scared the crap out of me. Because while being an entrepreneur is is like personal development on steroids, like being a mom as well, or being yeah. a parent, like you know, it's like you see your children. And how and how you see yourself and your kids, you see how you react to things by how they're reacting and yep. they are a literal mirror. And I knew that I did not want to pass down the shit that I had grown up with. Absolutely. And by, by releasing that and freeing that and exposing it and being very acutely self-aware to say, I will look at anything that I need to change. Breaking that vicious cycle, you know, like you want to break that vicious yeah. circle, you know, like that, that there's, there's, cause it spirals, you know, like yeah. it just spirals. Yeah. And it was both my husband and I, like his parents were, were, um, addicts. His father was an alcoholic as well. We, we just decided we like, we just looked at each other one day and we were walking and we all like, he's a coach as well. And so we have these deep conversations as we're walking and, and we just looked at each other one day and we're like, the cycle ends with us. Like, this is like, that's what, what our parents pass, what we experience, like, that's it. Like the, the consciousness of like, we just chose and we made a decision. And that's the thing is like, it really comes down and always comes down to ownership. Because between stimulus and response, you have a gap, as Viktor Frankl says. You have a a space for free will, a space to choose. Now, so often we will choose 
a familiar path. We will choose the same path. It's like if I, I asked you to take this, like you probably don't take you probably you probably take the same route to work every single day. Yeah. Every single day. Unless unless ways are something else. But <laughs> that's that's a signal saying, yep. hey, time to take a new behavior. But yep. normally we are operating on this default programming. And that's why I encourage my clients to always question everything. Absolutely. Question it. Question the programming. Question what you grew up with. Question if it's something that you actually want to have. Because so often we're just living plagiarized versions of what we think someone else thought us should be. Yeah. And as I healed myself, as I healed myself from bulimia, as I healed myself, because my my cycle of of issues of the deep rooted belief of not being enough, it went from bulimia to being in abusive relationships. And then it went from being in abusive relationships to being in uh, a, a business that just wasn't a good fit. And so it it shifted forms and then it shifted into a, uh, an abusive relationship with money. And so it it shifted forms. But because I never got to that final piece until the past couple of years, the final piece of, of being enough and that you can be enough and keep growing and learning at the same time. That's the great paradox. Yeah. And, 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 and this is pretty much you know, like the the. The podcast serves some pieces of that, you know, like the, the, for me, just, you know, egoistically, I'll say, you know, like that, that, you know, like I, I, I discover, you know, like challenging your own morale, for example, is yeah. something that, you know, like I've, I've learned through my sponsor and mentor. Um, but then not only that, you know, like the, there's, there's, um, you need interaction to challenge your morale, for example. Yeah. You need interaction, you know, like you need someone else to expose, as you said, you know, their own flaws to question your own. Yeah. And when, I mean, that's, that's as a coach, because there's only so much that you can change inside your own head without yep. having the, like you, we need people, like people, like we need each other. That's yeah. how we're built. And so my clients for 10 years of teaching Pilates were my best coaches back then because what they did was they exposed me to new behaviors. They exposed me to new ways of thinking. They exposed, they removed me from, from that, that thinking of what I grew up in and allowed me to see that, that you could survive because our brain always wants to survive. It's not meant to, it's not meant to thrive. We have to train it to do so that it showed me that you can survive and thrive in different ways of thinking, in different ways of being, in different ways of experiencing emotions and experiencing life. And that's why like the you are you are very much most like the five people that you spend the most time with. And so yeah. that's why more often than not when when any major change in your life happens, the five people that you surround yourself with will change as well. And absolutely. And it's it's like I've seen it over multiple transformations from when I was bulimic and people pitied me to when I was in abusive relationships and I would have certain friendships that would be there because they love to come to my rescue. Well, suddenly then I no longer needed to be rescued. And so so then those friendships weren't as strong because that that foundation had shifted. Yep. And so when you, sh you, and, you did, as you did, yeah. you're like you shifted. <laughs> and that's okay. It's okay yeah. to, to have that. And if it's a friendship that you would like to stay in your life, question it. If it's like question the motives behind it, question the reasons that it's there. Like I have masterminds that I'm a part of that I'm so excited that they're a part of my life because they constantly challenge me to become that better version of myself. They constantly challenge me to get really uncomfortable and become a, an even better, more productive, more efficient version of me. So when when you shift into that that mentality, that belief that you always keep changing and and growth is just inevitable, that it's either grow or die, like you, you latch onto that. Absolutely. 
And so, Kim, I have to ask you, you know, like, how are you doing now? You know, like, what's, what's, you know, like, how, yeah, how are you doing? I'm doing amazing. I'm doing, yeah. like, for me, like I said, like, that version of me back in my early 20s, I don't even recognize her anymore. Like, do not recognize her. And for me, like, I just, I am so firing on all cylinders because I am so in love with what I do and with the person that I have become in the process of doing that and the person that I've become in the process of looking and examining my own fears of being a mom. Like those first six months of being a mom were challenging for me because suddenly I was faced with my greatest fear, which was also yeah. my greatest love. And that was the greatest paradox that I that I faced. And when I saw my son and just the amount of love, I almost felt undeserving. And suddenly all those beliefs of like what I deserve and all the beliefs of 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 self-worth came up again. But fortunately, I now am very well equipped with the tools, the resources and the support system to allow me to look at that without judgment. And ask the question, isn't that interesting? And just share that, look at it from that perspective of, huh, my behavior, oh, am I defaulting to past, you know, five-year-old programming that I'm not enough or not worthy or not deserving or whatever? And what if I did believe that I was deserving? What if I did love this little baby wholeheartedly, which of course I do, because he's the cutest freaking thing on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's really the cutest thing on the planet. Like. He's just amazing. And seeing that and, and seeing his compassion for people and then being able to, to experience that for myself, his compassion, and then being able to pass on that compassion to my clients and, and still challenge them. Like one of the questions I commonly ask a lot of, a lot of my clients is when, um, when you were four or five years old, who did you want to be? Not what did you want to be? Who did you want to be? And who did I want to be back then? I wanted to be a princess. I wanted, well, actually, I wanted to be a queen. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to be a director. I wanted to be um, a leader. And now I have a community, a wonderful community, my crown community of empire builders that I get to lead, that I get to step into that space of being able to challenge people and do it in a loving, healthy, compassionate way. Like it is, it is so glorious. And that, that for me is like, to look back on all those years of struggle, like I have so much gratitude that I went through that. I have so like I have so much gratitude. I have so much love for every single person and seeing how they blessed me with those experiences that helped change me. And even those so some of those experiences were awful. Um like looking back, they allow me now to connect with people on such a deeper level that Absolutely. that it just it's extraordinary because I know I'm now able, I'm, I've been blessed to be put in a position where I have the tools, the resources, the skill set to be able to help people transform and legit transform. Kim, I have to thank you. You know, like the, there's, um, it's, it's oddly, not oddly, but you know, like every single episode I, 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 tell my guests that you know like i'm humbled just surprised and in shock that you know like a nobody from from canada <laughs> reaches out and gets prompt and and quick response and enthusiastic response from people like you kim that accepted um and i i the only thing i can say is thank you and where can people find you you can find me at crownyourself.com. And if you would like to join my community of empire builders, of kick-ass people, and if you want a little loving challenge from time to time, you can join my Crown Yourself community on Facebook. It's a fa fantastic Facebook group. I love the community that we're building. And I, I want to inspire leaders. Like, I believe this world will be so much stronger 
with more leaders taking full ownership of their life. And so you can find me on at crownyourself.com, on Instagram at Kimberly.Spencer. And I just look forward to serving you and supporting you. And please DM me if this episode was was valuable, if you had a breakthrough, a takeaway. I love hearing that. Awesome. And uh, I will encourage my fam- my f- my wife, which is a NLP certified um to actually join in and I'll do as well. And yes! I'll be adding, yeah, I'll be adding the, the, uh, all of the links, um, on my, on the podcast episode description for listeners. So, uh, you can find it on the episode description. So again, thank you. Uh, I hope the best for you. And, uh, it was a pleasure meeting you. Same here, Alex. I wish absolute success and fulfillment for you. Mostly fulfillment. Because that's yeah. that's an art, and thank you by you and what you're doing for your community that you're building with with cold turkey. It's a great title. <laughs> I love the title. <laughs> it's a great title, and I think that you are doing wonderful work in this world. Thank you, Kim. Mm-hmm.